and Apex Lab Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast, where we speak to the most experienced technology leaders from around the world. So stay with us to learn actionable management insights to take your engineering team to the next level. This show is powered by Apex Lab, a team of experts in end-to-end digital product development. ApexLab.io Hi everyone, this is Carolina Todd speaking. Welcome to Level Up Engineering Stories. This spin-off of Level Up Engineering is aimed at uncovering stories of successful products um, and we talked with Michael Lopp and his experience at Slack before and now I am here with Radoslav Stankov from Product Hunt. He's head of engineering there and he will talk about his experience at Product Hunt, how uh, he shaped the company and perhaps how the company shaped him. Thank you so much for tuning in to Level Up Engineering. And first of all, Rado, let me ask you to tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, so I'm from Bulgaria. I started uh, technology, my my technology career started quite early when I was like 15. I kind of dropped into tech by accident and I have been in technology quite well. I'm doing a lot of public speaking uh, when there was public speaking. Now I do offline speaking a bit more. I used to organize a lot of conferences and meetups in Bulgaria uh, when we have those. And hopefully I'm going to do them next year if uh, things normalize. And yeah, I have been uh, in technology since uh, 2002. So I'm nearing my 20 years quite soon there. Awesome. Uh, you you have a lot of experience to, to share with uh, with your listeners then. First of all, Product Hunt is pretty well known. Tell us a bit about how you ended up there. Yeah, so I joined Product Hunt seven and a half years ago. Back then, Product Hunt was quite smaller. This was just after their seed round, A seed round of investment. And uh, back at that time, Andreas Klinger joined uh, us um, as the founding CTO. And me and Andreas had worked together like a couple of years back at another startup. And he contacted me to with product and like he wanted something to build, to build like the best engineering team he can build. So he contacted me. And during that time, I was doing some more traditional consulting work uh, because before that I was a lot of startups so I wanted to see a bit more of the consulting business and I find out this was not for me so I uh, joined Product Hunt and my original plan for joining was Product Hunt seems cool and I wanted to, to do something fun and my original plan was just to stay year year and a half just shape the core of the product like the architecture build up the core team and then move on and six, uh, seven years later, I'm still here. So yeah, still work to do. So what what was the thing, if we can point out one thing that really made you change your plan and stay there for so long? So I think the biggest one was product 
is always changing and there is always things to learn and things to grow. Like the first years, we were very in the startup world, doing a lot of experiments, trying a lot of new things. I was doing a lot of interesting new technologies. Then we got acquired by AngelList, and this was its own set of challenges. Then it was the revenue era where products start to make uh, money. So that was uh, a challenge of itself. Like we will build like an internal and like a SaaS business on top of product. And, and after that, um, it was the era when Andreas left and I took over as head of engineering. And my goal then was to rebuild the team and focus us more for looking forward for the future. And then we worked on something called your stack, which was a very interesting experiment, which we learned a lot. Then 2020 happened, and now we have a, like a new CEO, Ashley, with a new bold vision to combine a lot of the things you learned from your stack, some of the core product and changes, and we are launching something called Hyper as well. So there is always something happening, and there is always opportunities to learn and to improve and to grow for me. And I, I feel that my job is never done here. So there is always something that I just pick something, I improve on something, and then, okay, there is a new challenge that needs to be handled. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That sounds like you don't need to leave the company to get into new kind of adventures because they present themselves. Yeah, a lot of people tell me, yeah, I mean, you're seven years in, this, in one company. It's like, I mean, it's not one company, like it was three legal entities first, but also it was like I can have like five different eras or even six different eras, like it's totally different companies. The only thing is that I have the whole knowledge of all the things we tried that worked, didn't work. And also we have like an amazing team, which a lot of product and team members, like I think I'm the person who stayed longer in the company, but we have to go with six years, with five years. So there is a lot of people who stayed for a long time in the company. Awesome. So if you care to share a little bit about how the company looked when you first joined and then how it evolved into what it is now. Back when, when I joined, originally Product like on the engineering side, was built more on, on contractors. Uh, Ryan was doing sole product, sole community, sole support. Uh, like this was very early on. And when uh, we got the Series A, this is when uh, Corey uh, Hedges joined as a CEO, when Andrea started actually moving from contractors to full-time employees and building the, the first core team of the product. So it was the time where for like a Ryan Hoover side project, it started to become something real. And right now we are again on the level where a lot of my work now is I'm building the new groups of team leads and splitting the work more into teams and trying to like we have a way of working which Andreas starts called single player mode which I developed into collaborative single player mode where one engineer works on a feature they own and they build it but as you grow you have to move from individuals to more of um, uh, cross-functional teams and this is uh, the, the challenge right now that I'm like working on to improve and see how I keep best things from like having a single player mode with more like a product teams and stuff around that. Mm-hmm. And so how many employees do you have right now? Oh man, uh, it's it's a bit hard to tell because every week there is somebody new like it's I think we are around 40 now. Mm-hmm. I'm wrong. Uh, like we grow quite a bit like we almost 
I mean, not almost, we doubled. We were 20 last year from COVID and now we doubled. So the whole company is around 40. My team right now is around 10. We have a couple of people outside of company like external DevOps, external QAs, uh, that also like are around me. And right now we are trying to grow a separate uh, mobile team, which we haven't had since the very early days. So yeah, we are uh, we are changing the company quite a bit the last year. Right, which I mean, I'm sure a lot of our listeners can kind of resonate with that and think about all the all the changes that they have had to make in this year and a half uh, of change. So with that said, you have mentioned quite a few things with uh, with the engineering team and its expansion. What are some of the biggest uh, management challenges that you that you have had to face so far? Yeah, so on the management side, my, my biggest challenge was to move from individual contributor to first like management role and which also had individual contributor role to right now I'm building, I'm, I'm working a lot more with and shaping a lot more team leads and trying to balance like me allowing to code to actually doing the work and the other big challenge was uh, in the early days when the, the surface area of the product was smaller it were and we always hired for full stacks and people can work with features and own them and we the, we had them a, a, a bit more simple structure and we were a lot more inexperienced we were a lot smaller so our mistakes uh, were not that costly like if we break something to proceed to revert right now with a lot more traffic. So having to just think that all the people are moving in the right direction, but they still have the ownership of uh, their tasks, that they are not just some execution units. Uh, so this is uh, a challenge because you always try to just go, okay, do I give too much freedom? Do I give too less freedom? And how much you want to keep stuff that you used to work before and the stuff that's not working anymore. So that's, that was the, that's the challenge right now. Right. And so how do you check back on, on what you have achieved? Uh, what are some of the methods that you use to evaluate your progress? Yeah, so I have a technique, I call it my major journal. And this is like every week I have like a log of things that happened. And those are like, I mean, I keep the usual what was my priorities, what I did, but I also keep all, what are the things I'm worried about? Like what were some core events that happened to our system? Like maybe we had an outage, maybe there was some argument between the teammates. Uh, there was something that was not clear. Or for example, I have a concern that right now, for example, we are building a design system and we had some, I have some concerns around how flexible it should be compared to faster performance. So I'm keeping this journal and I'm having like every week just putting it in a log so every month I'm checking, okay, is the things I'm concerned the same? Have they changed? Have they been resolved? Uh, the other thing is one of my personal goals as a manager is to become not needed. So, because again, when the company grows, I have a lot more things to do, so I have to move them back. So I'm like, okay, what are the things which I have, I can just give somebody else to do or teach somebody else to do? So I have a list of things which I notice like, okay, why I'm the only person who can do this particular, or make the decision and how can I just move that? So those are the two things which try to keep me in check. And of course, again, we have the company goals, other teams executing on their sprints and all of that. 
but for me personally, this is the things I'm I'm seeing. Like, is my concerns the same every week? Like, I'm concerned for the same thing for the last six months, uh, six weeks or six months. I mean, like, there isn't anything six months, but yeah. So uh, this journal is really exciting. Um, do you have anybody to share it with, or do you talk about your worries with with someone in the company? Uh, so I mean, I have blocked around that I use this technique, but the journal for me is something that's very personal, and it's I mean I'm, I have like a normal journal as well, and for me that's stuff that okay I'm putting all my real concerns, and some of those are again uh, things that are too raw, for example, to share. Like I try to share some of the concerns when they're like okay maybe I have a solution or maybe I need help for this thing. But it's like very raw data there, just for me. And it's I try to be very honest. Like sometimes, I mean, as every normal person, like I overreact in some situations. So the journal helps me see, okay, oh, maybe that was not that good, or maybe that's not too bad. Oh, I oh I thought this was like the biggest success ever with something with it, and I'm like checking a week later, and it's like, oh yeah, that was actually good, but it was not such a big deal. So yeah, it, it's just for me personally, and I use it to later again share with my teammate, share with the leadership, with the CEO, with um, my peers. Okay, maybe I have this idea of let's improve the product this way because they have this concerns with the product level. Or talk with some of the engineers. I have this concern that, for example, it takes uh, too much steps to build a new page. We have to create it like six files. Maybe we should. Maybe it's like five. Let's see how we can skip those. So there is a lot of like raw information that goes to me, but I don't want to overwhelm people with it. Right, right. Uh, and with, which is very, you know, like forward thinking of you. I was just wondering what the process might be so that if some of our listeners want to implement something like that in their own lives, they have kind of your case study to, to figure yeah. it out. Yeah, so the thing that worked for me and it changes, like I wrote a blog post and my basically the way I have it is I use a note taking up pair. I just have like a pin note on the table, which is called my weekly journal. And I'm just writing every day and I'm changing the format of this, like just writing there. Like when I have a thought, I just put it there just as a cold storage. And I sit every Sunday just for half an hour to an hour, depending what was the load when I'm planning my next week in general for work, my goals for the week. I'm reading through the journal, cleaning it, fixing a lot of the typos <laughs> because there is quite a bit of those since uh, English is not my native tongue and I wrote write this in English for some weird reason. And I just, okay, put, just get this file, put it in a folder in my documents folder. And just like that, and I don't have much machinery. When I have time, I might do it like an app or something. But for now, just like simple text file, because I think for me, it's more the act of just moving information out of my head into something that I can see and manipulate, like something which is a concern. Sometimes it's like opportunity actually to improve stuff because the first step is to recognize there's something is an issue. Right, right. Something that needs uh, needs to be looked at. Awesome. Uh, let's uh, steer over a little bit to something that you mentioned that uh, English is not your native tongue. And as far as I know, Product Hunt is uh, a remote first company. So you, you were working entirely remotely even before the global pandemic. Um, and 
First of all, I would like to ask you about your experience with, with working remotely before it was the norm for everyone. And then if you could share um, how the remote work um, kind of got invented into its best shape at Product Hunt. Yeah, so to be honest, remote was a lot easier back in the day, which uh, the biggest reason for this is, and I often say, yeah, my team was remote from day one, we have the processes, but COVID broke a couple of teams. Like everybody was stressed, every like normally we were people. And also people optimized their work environments very meticulously. And then their kids, their spouses jumped there and combined this with everything. Again, every, we, as every normal people, we had those issues. The second thing which COVID destroyed, and we still haven't done those, and um, I really want to resume them at some point, is in-person meetups. Like we used to gather two, three times a year. Like I was, for example, brought my engineering team in Bulgaria for one of the conferences I did. So it was a time just to see each other. So at least one or two times a year, just for people to align on goals, not get to know each other like the new team members. So this is the things that used, and I hope someday we continue having those, like people get out more. Uh, on In terms of like the best form of remote. So the way I have seen remote work the best is having a couple of components and I would expand on those in a bit. So the first one is autonomy. The other one is communication. And the third one is accountability. Like what I mean by autonomy, that means that, and this was the core for the single player mode. The idea is everybody should be able to execute without depending on people. And for me, even on the technology side, the worst thing is dependency. Even like on the technical side, like when I have to do this technical libraries, that's the worst. And it's the same with people and systems. Like if, for example, the reason we still hire full stack engineers is because I don't want to have a back-ender and front-ender that needs to discuss, oh, we need to sync up on a contract for the front-end to talk to the back-end. If, if it's a one person, they can do it vertically so they can execute alone. And they and you, as, um, as the team lead, you have to provide them with the tools to enable this. Like, you have to have the standards. You have to give them uh, guidance on what decisions to make because if you have autonomy, you make decisions. And... The other one is, again, communication, like deciding, okay, maybe we just make a call because we really need to discuss this really fast or that's not so important and we should write and we should be clear in our writing the same way we are clear on the code. A lot of engineers are still struggling on that side because, again, we try to write concise code, but if you notice the comments engineers write, they're a lot of problematic, like they are too long, they are not very formatted because they don't treat this, the, the communication as code. Like, okay, this is the, the clear instructions. Also with communications, there is different styles between nations. Like, for example, something very clear, people in the US, the way they, they like information is, this is the problem, this is my solution, this is how I got to this solution. So how do I get to the solution is in the bottom, because if I don't agree with the solution, I don't read it. Or, or vice versa. The people for more from Central Europe are the reverse. They want to see how you get to the solution. They don't care so much. They care on the methodology. And this is things you need to balance. And the third one is, again, accountability. How 
people are accountable for their work because in the remote environments, for example, I don't track hours on the people because I think this is the wrong measure. I measure their, the output of the work. And it's really hard to measure people's output when they say, yeah, I mean, I, I would have done that, but I depend, for example, waiting on the designs. Or I'm waiting on the front end or I'm waiting on the back end. So in order to get accountability for people, you have to give them a clear line where they can execute from the beginning to the end and they have like a clear goal so they know they can work and on the accountability part is exactly like this you should give them okay this is what i expect from you and i want you to communicate if you have issues getting there like for example if you cannot hit the deadline okay that's fine let's see why i like i had cases where somebody on my team was like i i won't be hitting the deadline like it's too much and they say let's let's discuss what why and we figure out half of the feature is actually useless. We don't need this feature and he actually finished faster. So a lot of that part, but you, it should be clear. Like that's the reason I really don't like to say, okay, how much, how much time you work. I mean, if you can work one hour and do all the work for the whole week, I mean, more power to you. I mean, I would like you to work two, two hours, just to finish two weeks, but yeah, stuff around that. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. So it sounds like all of your engineers are very senior, both in the engineering sense and in the like personal development sense. Would that be a fair statement? Actually, we have a couple of engineers that are junior. Even two of them, this was their first job. And one started with us uh, when he was still in college. So it's, I mean, they're all mature as... Uh, as people, I mean, also, again, we are still teaching ourselves of how to do that. The way I try to get people is, I like the attitude of people. People who want to learn, they have to grow. Like all the things, again, I'm saying is, this not always works. Like you you always have to develop. Like, yeah, it's, uh, it's in the human nature sometimes to underperform or not to communicate well, oh, there is the cultural differences or, okay, it's really hard to be full stack. But that's the idea. You you want your team to support those, these good behaviors. Like uh, for me, that's one of the, the things I really like working with junior people. Like right now, we are my my usual goal is I get senior people first, and I have enough senior people so they can actually give enough feedback to the junior. So when the junior person joins and they join in a good environment, they can actually get the good habits and they can pick up a lot of things even without knowing them. And we had some situations where we had juniors and again, they didn't pick up that, those good behaviors just because we put them on projects where they were very outdated, they were very legacy, they were not properly, they didn't work properly with senior people and unfortunately they didn't succeed because of that. And it was not on them, it was, it was on me because I didn't realize at the time that you really need to to have like okay this is the good way this is the best practices we have in the team because when you work on a system that's older like our system is seven years old now there is a lot of bad practices that were good at the time because i mean we are going to react with graphql with rails like these ecosystems evolve and our product evolves so there is parts of our system that i'm a bit ashamed to look at they are not written in a way that I would I would love to rewrite them. I know a lot more now. There, there is a lot of like 
things that could be named better, they could be structured better. And it's and this is the struggle when somebody joins a project, they, they try to pick up patterns in the system. So you have to say, okay, this is the good part. Just if you, for example, if you need to create a new page, this is the pages you should copy stuff for, not those other ones. And this is, again, I think a struggle for all, all tech companies and all team sizes, because if, your company is successful, most probably you have system that works, but they are not, uh, I mean, they work, so we don't need to change them. They're, they're, they're low priority, but it's technology. Patterns change, we learn, we as communities learn, and especially again on dependency side, things are not as rosy as they can be. <laughs> right, right. And with that said, let's steer to, to the product itself. Let us talk about the challenges of developing the product itself. What have you had to face? So we used to have a lot of more scaling issues before uh, we switched to our our latest architecture. We were shooting ourselves in the back. I even have a talk called uh, how to shoot yourself with server-side rendering. So we used to have a lot more of those. We changed, we fixed those. And over the time, the biggest challenges we currently have are more, not so much on the technical side, are more on the product side. Because product hunt have a very simple mental model for users. We have a feed every day, we get the best products, people vote, there is a ranking algorithm, and that, that's how the product works. And this is a very clear uh, mental model of how this product works. And one of the things we have to fight, we have a lot of internal systems for preventing people gaming this system because a good, a good system should be a simple one. And people try to game it because for people it's very important to have a successful product on launch. And also because people depend on us. If we change something in our system, we especially on the homepage and in the core parts of product, we have to be very careful because it's not just our product, it's everybody sales product. Like, I really like stories where some user, uh, like some kid from India, for example, or somebody from France, just launch an app and it's the top product it's from this one kid. It beats Google's Stripe with the, or even Apple with their lunch. Like I'm really proud of that. And I, I'm, and this is the thing, not only me, but the whole company is very cognizant of, like we want to make the system fair for even the smaller players and also not to break it. Like, imagine like, again, you're this kid, which launches their first app, and this is the day we make some major experiment on change, and because of that, they don't get the traction on, on, on product. And this is the thing we have to be very cognizant of. And this is something as we grow, we have to be more careful. We still have to evolve because every product has to evolve, but we have to make those decisions. And this is the balance that right now are a very interesting challenge for us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so if you care to elaborate a little more on how you prioritize the product and the design, and for example, some of these changes that might lead you to larger scale improvements to the product, what are some of your decision mechanisms that you use internally? So this varies or so the way we're thinking about is we try to again keep metrics so we know we are on the right track stuff grows but we also are thinking around two areas like how can you improve things for the different cohorts of users we have and the other one is especially the one 
which we are performing quite now in the background, like a lot of the, the big changes we are doing is we did this earlier this year when uh, our new CEO Ashley came is what are the biggest blockers on the system level? And I'm, I'm not just talking in terms of like software systems, I'm talking the system on the product itself. What are the biggest things that, okay, if we had this, it would solve this crappy experience we have in this area of the product, or this feature is not very used and why it's not used. Oh, because we don't have these things. I, I cannot share details because we're still implementing those things in the background because we are changing a lot of things from bottom to the top with a lot of experiments of tweaking those. But right now we are trying to see, okay, what were the biggest blockers we had? The other thing we had was we had this product called your stack which we worked last year and we get a lot of learnings from this product because it's like a fresh start and we noticed what worked there and why couldn't this work at PA because we could solve this, this and this. And this is the way right now we are thinking in our product, like what are the blockers where it's like, okay, if product and account didn't exist and we say, or we come back to the early days where Ryan shipped the Justice and newsletter. How would we have designed this system? What are the changes that would remove all these problems? Just not to, not solve the problem, just eliminate the problem. Like this is not an issue anymore. And this is the things that we are now right now working on. Like we are working on a lot of things to improve core mechanics, but we are also doing a lot of things on the background for a lot bigger changes later this year. Mm -hmm. Awesome. We are looking forward to that. With that said, it sounds like a lot of the of the engineering improvements from what you just said to me sound like these things are really a perspective change for people who are working on the product so that they don't get cemented into the old ways of thinking or how you used to figure out solutions. Yeah, exactly. Like... Uh, the company quite changed. Like, as I mentioned, we have a new CEO and the way Ryan worked in Intel is different. And that's the thing. One of the things, especially for me as an old timer in the company, uh, the biggest challenge is changing uh, the product. Like, there is a lot of things we are discussing that we might try in, in, in years past. They didn't work, but they didn't work for certain reasons that and the, the things changed. Or it's like, hmm, I don't want to change this thing that we had already. So me as a bit as an old timer, this is something uh, which I really appreciate, like the, with the new leadership, all the thinking of questioning a lot of the, the core assumptions. So with the knowledge that we want to keep the core working. And this is always very scary, but also it's very excited because as I mentioned, like this is the whole company every time it's uh, every year is like a different company and different challenges. And I really like working in environments like that because I don't get staled. Right, right. Thank you. You have been there for a long time and I'm sure you have changed a lot as a person while you were growing the company. Is there someone that you particularly loved working with or somebody that had a huge impact on your development while you were at Product Hunt? I really like working with a lot of the company. Like, I don't think there is many people I wouldn't say from the company I wouldn't work with again. The biggest impact for me were uh, Ryan, who is the founder. He taught me so much about thinking in terms of like, 
like just uh, the, the way how do you think about product how do you ship stuff what's perfect like what's perfect to launch compared to what's perfect to implement uh how to question assumptions for me also like andreas um was uh who was uh the, the cto before me was i learned a lot about his attitude towards empowering people i'm still again struggling with because i really like building stuff and just uh for me it's always like okay this cool stuff this cool system should i give it to somebody else i really love to build that so this is always constantly i also learned quite a bit from a lot of our community team like, like for example jake who is still at the company who is leading our community team. i learned a lot from him the way he actually understands the product from the support side a lot of his insights are tremendously great because he's the closest person to the user and we built a lot of internal systems for our community team to support the site to moderate it to make sure the whole community is inclusive and good and i learned a lot from from people like that i learned a lot from a lot of people from my engineering team because again i I really like learning technologies and everybody on the engineering team has something they are particularly knowledgeable, particularly good at. And on the technology side, I learned a lot like night and day in the last seven years. You mentioned a couple of times how you were first an engineer and now you're into management and you're responsible for, for the team. Can you share some tips with our listeners about how you have managed to make that jump from an individual contributor to a manager? So for me, it happened like very gradually. Like before we didn't have a manager, we just had Andreas. So I was just helping people, trying to mentor people the regular way. So when I become a manager, the way when I had, okay, now you're head of engineering, my biggest struggle was, okay, what should the head of engineering do here? Like, should I manage them, ask them? Like, I don't want to do a bookkeeping of people. I trust them. And for me, was the, the thing which helped me the most is to actually figure out this is a separate job from what they used to have. And this is something I work closely with my team right now is uh, not everybody needs to become an engineering manager. You can become a single individual contributor and have the same impact because those are totally separate jobs. So I just move professions here and for me the biggest challenge is i love to build stuff and build a system say how can i balance that because in the early days just removing message view contributor was hurting a lot on the technical side so i had to balance those two and i needed to learn and again i i did a lot of reading i did a lot of like talking with people on, on similar positions uh, i created uh, like a trust circle with friends who are in similar cases that me and just discuss stuff and again i'm still learning the handles uh right now i'm moving to becoming like from directly talking with the engineers now i'm building the engineering managers who talk to my path so yeah i'm, I'm still learning but the, i think the biggest thing is just realize this is a separate job this is a new skill you have to learn it's fine to suck just try to get better every day and make sure you're learning. Right. Thank you for that. It sounds like uh, the entire company is kind of based around this idea that learning never really stops and the product also has to be kind of renewed as as new kind of uh, needs arise for, for the users as well. Yeah, exactly. With that said, 
what is one thing that you could suggest to anybody who is building a product or, or launching something on Product Hunt or thinking about, you know, becoming an innovator? What is one thing you, you want to tell them or you want to suggest? Yeah, ship earlier. <laughs> like a lot of people um, ship too late, but ship early doesn't mean ship something that doesn't work. Just uh, try to see what's the core thing that makes your product unique and just ship that in the best form possible. And the rest just come out later. For example, once when we launched your stack, we didn't have a lot of functionality. We are just, it was just wired with, uh, I call it with the wireframes. And we just manually were going, were doing like a database changes instead of just having admin panels for stuff. Uh, for a lot of things, we're using like no code solutions just to get this on the ground because you actually want to understand what the product is. That being said, if your product is very technical, like if you're shipping a new database engine or something very technical, you should again focus on the core thing. Like what's the core thing on the product that makes sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, it sounds like a lot of user-oriented thinking has to go into any kind of new product that is being launched. Yeah, that, that's the thing I think I learned the most in Product Hunt is thinking like again from firm principles and why are we doing this? Like why is this thing needed? Why, why we are rewriting our, let's say, backend? <laughs> uh, what's the goal in the end? Not just, okay, we want cleaner code. Awesome. Thank you so much. I think that's a really good uh, point to end on. We have talked a lot about Product Hunt and about your position and, and how you have evolved into, into who you are today. Is there anything that we haven't touched on and you would like to share with our listeners? No, I think, I think we pretty much covered cover quite a bit of ground. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you for sharing so much. You have appeared on quite a few places on the internet. Where should our viewers or listeners follow your work? Where can they get in touch with you if that's what they would like to do? Yeah, so uh, people can just reach me on Twitter. My DMs are open. Uh, I also try to blog more and share a lot of the things I'm thinking about because I always get like amazing feedback. Also, my personal website, I just have a list of all the talks, podcasts I'm appearing just so I can remember them and reference them later. Awesome. Awesome. So be sure to check that out. And with that said, I thank you for, for joining Level Up Engineering today. This was a special episode called Level Up Engineering Stories. And uh, today, my guest was Radoslav Stankov, Head of Engineering from Product Hunt. We talked a lot about how to make a product successful and about how to lead an engineering team that works perfectly or quite close to perfect in a fully remote organization. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It was quite fun. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. Um, with that said, dearest listeners, I am Karolina Toth, and I hope to see you next time. Thanks for staying with us. This was the Level Up Engineering Podcast by Apex Lab. Check them out at apexlab.io. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel, rate our content, and share your thoughts on this episode. See you next time.